0: Welcome to Saving the Game. This is Episode 71, Creeds. Recorded Thursday, October 1st of 2015, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant.
1: I'm Peter. Peter, you got anything going on this week? Not not as it will be current when this comes out. I am into the new Magic set a bit, but uh, we're not a CCG podcast, so aside from bonus episodes, I think I'll leave that to the community discussion.
0: Fair enough. Uh, By the way, I have been listening to, uh, what was it, The Command Zone? Yes. Yeah. So if you are interested in a good EDH-specific podcast, and those of you who play Magic may know what I'm talking about... That's a good one. Peter recommended yeah. it. It's nice. So, there you go. Yeah,
1: they're they they have um, they're very professional. They have good information. They have a lot of interesting guest hosts, I've noticed. So, yeah. if that's something you're into, that's definitely worth checking out.
0: Yep. I want to thank everybody who's participated in our Hearthstone tournament. Uh, by the time this comes out, it's probably going to be done. I'm going to try and organize the next one a little better. This was kind of a test run to see what needed to happen. Naturally, now that it's kind of been ongoing for a little bit i've had a couple of people asking if they can get in on it now go figure um uh, so i'm gonna try and publish the next one a little better and that yeah. sort of thing but hey the answer
1: is not this time but next time will be coming soon right actually uh grant and i have to play our match this evening after we finish recording so yeah
0: right after this and um
1: i look forward to being crushed like a bug
0: no no you don't it's <laughs> i have a couple of decks that are very high variance let's put it that way and i know you're gonna take at least one game off me
1: oh uh, we'll see. You are pretty good. You you tend to underestimate your own skill with card games. So. Well, yeah,
0: but the thing is, it's like if I took my magic collection and built a deck and went up against one of yours, you've been playing for a very long time and have a large collection. I've got a limited set of magic cards from that one time my wife and I tried to get back into it. Okay, but quick tangent. The time when you and your wife tried to get
1: back into it was the Lorwyn Shadowmoor block which was basically just a river of power.
0: Yeah, so... but you've got like Zendikar and stuff, and we're getting into technical terms. point is you've got a larger collection of cards that you can make tighter decks with. I've got the same thing going on. I've played Hearthstone for a while since beta. Not consistently, but enough. I've got a larger set of cards to make tighter decks with. So.
1: Yeah, I think I've actually maybe bought two packs in Hearthstone with the in-game currency. I know I haven't spent any real money on it.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's the thing. I dropped a gift card at some point on it. You know, just uh, one of those Christmas gift cards. So I, I had a extra. And set he of packs. still
1: thinks that he's not going to sweep me, folks. This is, this is really kind of funny.
0: No, no, it's it. I don't expect it to be a sweep. I've got two decks that are very high variance. I expect one of them to just falter. Yeah, well, As my opponent from
1: last night will tell you, the random number generator did like me yesterday,
0: so... And that's one of the things about Hearthstone, and it's one of those things that's actually been complained about a lot recently. And I don't want to spend too much more time on Hearthstone, but there's a big emphasis on randomness in the game right now. And while it will generally all even out, when randomness does go wrong or it seems to be against you or for you, it's very noticeable. There are times when you know, major professional matches are decided purely by a random draw from the entire list of cards in the game. Things like that.
1: Well, I didn't have anything like that. I was just top decking stuff well last night. So, yeah.
0: and that, yeah, I mean, that factors into every CCG, right. but you know, there are a lot of cards that are explicitly random, like do four to seven damage, right? <laughs> that can be a big difference, you know, do two to four damage and summon a one, one creature for each point of damage done. Well, that's swingy.
1: Yeah, that that's the difference between sweeping your opponent's board or just sitting there. And yeah,
0: like, you, okay, I ping you for two and create two creatures, or I ping this creature for four, probably killing it, and get four creatures. Well, that's a big deal.
1: Which can then potentially sweep in and take out a bunch
0: more of your creatures and or yeah. you, and yeah. Mage has a card, it's a two-mana spell, that is add one random minion to your hand. Random from the entire collection of creatures in the game. It costs three less. Minimum zero, obviously.
1: So you could get everything from a weenie all the way up to an enormous beater, and you have no idea which it's going to be.
0: Correct. You can get things that will actively hurt you, because it's a random creature. No telling. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody play a uh, piloted shredder, which is a card that, when you kill it, drops a random two-cost minion to replace it, and out comes uh, Lorewalker Cho, which applies an effect to both players, where when you cast a spell, you add a copy of that spell to the other player's hand. Well, I know one of the things <laughs> that saved me really in one of my silly.
1: games last night is my opponent played something that gave me a couple of bananas, which are nice little pump spells,
0: so... Yeah, and that's not random, but it's one of those things where, Here's the fun thing about that. Those are spells. I've had that same situation, and then it's like, well, I can't cast these, because then my opponent gets pump spells. Yeah. And it's back and forth and back and forth. It gets very silly. Anyway, Hearthstone in detail, other than RNG is crazy and you're probably going to win at least one game and you may take the series. We'll see. But I will try and arrange a more complete and a little more open Hearthstone tournament. This has been a useful learning experience. We'll see. It'd be nice to get a larger pool of players, for instance. Yeah, that would be nice. Anyway, enough about that. I want to thank anybody who's gone out and reviewed our iTunes feed left reviews on itunes there or on stitcher if you have not done so please take a minute to do that or anywhere else that you see us that helps us a lot yeah i really actually does. like to call out a specific review that we got recently
1: we we got one a little while ago that gave us the very fair criticism that we've been focusing too much on general gaming topics lately so if you've noticed that we've had a, an uptick in theological content we have and it's the direct result of listener feedback. So if you think we don't listen to you, disabuse yourself of that notion. We do. Yeah,
0: yeah, we really do. And of course, you can give us direct feedback at any point. You know, feel free to email me, grant at sdgcast.org. I love hearing feedback on yeah. all of this. Leave a comment in episodes, that sort of thing. That's fine. But if you want to leave you a can public track review Track us show, down
1: on social media, et cetera.
0: Yeah, that really does help us say, oh, hey, this is what people are looking for. This is what we're doing wrong. This is what we need to keep doing. It's great. Yeah. All right, enough about that. Let's get into scripture, shall we? Sure. Uh, do you want
1: the two little ones or the big one? I'll take the big one. Okay, so our first small one is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one.
0: And our next is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul?
1: And the last one that we've got in our scripture is First Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. We have one important quote this week, and this is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
0: So, this episode, we're talking about creeds. Not that creed. Actual creeds. (laughs) Good creeds.
1: Yeah, I see. I don't know. They had a good song or two. Come on.
0: Good creeds. (laughs) All right. Grant and I have very different tastes in music, so. Uh, Yeah, there's a small amount of overlap. Uh, I've been trying to expand my musical horizons slightly, but not that creed. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) we're talking about creeds in part because they are useful for gaming, and in part because while this is not really going to be part of our series on heresies, it's connected to it. And I wanted to talk about creeds kind of towards the start of that series on heresies. To briefly define a creed, it's a formalized, widely agreed upon statement of faith and essential doctrines. That's in a Christian contest in particular, right? Faith right. and essential doctrines. A creed may very well be these are the doctrines that we believe in for any organization. It is not a promise to do something, it is not an oath. Rather, it is a statement of belief.
1: However, they are kind of inseparable from oaths as your belief drives your actions.
0: Right. And we're going to talk about that a fair bit. These are not always universal.
1: Yeah, some Methodist churches cut out the line, he descended into hell from the Apostles Creed. Yep. Even though I am a Methodist and I left it in when I read it at the beginning of the show.
0: Yep. In an example of kind of lesser differences, the exact English wording that Peter just read is not the exact English wording that my own church, the... PCUSA church uses. Uh, and that's just a translation issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll sometimes hear the quick and the dead, for instance. It's It can vary a little yeah. bit. That's the fun and the struggle of translating things from an original language into the one that you're speaking.
0: And of course, because language changes over time.
1: Yeah, you can sometimes have some conflicts. I mean, right. to diverge just slightly here, I know that actually I believe your church and my church say the Lord's Prayer differently. Yep trespassers versus debts.
0: Yep. It confused Chrissy to no end, believe me. When she became a Presbyterian uh, from being Southern Baptist, she was completely thrown off by how we say the Lord's Prayer. You know, she hadn't said the Lord's Prayer all that often, but the wording that we had, completely different. Yeah. Um, and talking about universality, she never used the Apostles' Creed. Not once. Wow, really? They don't do that really? in the Southern Baptist Church? At least not in hers. No. Huh. Yeah. Learn something new every day. And likewise, we're talking about a lack of universality. There are a lot of people who don't use the word Catholic or when they, they read off the Apostles' Creed.
1: Right, because it calls up the denomination rather than the right. idea of it being universal.
0: Well, they don't know that it doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic is a word meaning universal. Right. right. It is. It means the church as it exists throughout space and time, across all believers, everybody who professes their faith in Jesus Christ. It is not the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, there's
1: a difference between the Holy Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic Church.
0: Yeah, but because people don't know that, it's not as common a word.
1: And of course, some Roman Catholics would probably disagree with that, but... Well, of course. There's...
0: But certainly the people who are Protestants who don't know what Catholic means in this particular context just don't say it. We've got a, a class... That we do for new Presbyterians. And every time somebody is introduced to it, they go, oh, is that what that meant? Because it's not just for people who are new to the Presbyterian church. It's for people refreshing what they know. Every time. Oh, well, I should start, you know, saying that word. Should stop leaving that out of the Apostles' Creed. You know? <laughs> so there you go.
1: I always wondered why that was actually printed in the hymnal when we're not Catholics. Well, exactly. now you know.
0: In our church, of course, there are historical creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed is a very common one coming from some very early councils in Nicaea, which was one of those very important councils in the founding of the church, first adopted in uh, 325, right? The year yeah. 325. It's old.
1: I actually thought about putting both in our show notes, but they're so similar in their wording that...
0: Well, uh, you know what? I'll at least link to them because that yeah, it is I useful I think I think reading them is, is
1: probably better than... Having us recite them both on the podcast in any yeah. case. We'll just do the one
0: for you. Anyway, yeah. so, you know, the, these have existed for a while. One of the reasons that they exist relates to our discussion of heresies. They are a statement of faith that identifies a position that you're taking about the world. In the early church, a lot of churches started coming up with these statements of faith before baptism. It's a practice that's still somewhat common, kind of depending on the denomination and the individual congregation, because there were so many disparate, splintered sets of belief. You know, there are people who say, oh, no, I follow Paul's teaching. I follow Apollos's teaching. I follow Cephas's teaching. That's Peter, Cephas, the rock. All of these people who kind of had their own churches, in a sense.
1: Not, yeah. you know. Specifically, by the way, not me, but the biblical figure after which I am
0: named. <laughs> right. As a result, there could be a lot of confusion when somebody comes in and says, I'm a Christian, that's great. But in a heavily splintered environment like that, that can have a lot of nuance that's hidden under the covers there. Um, You know, if I say I'm a Christian and, say, a Seventh-day Adventist or a a member of a Greek Orthodox Church says, I'm a Christian— we're all professing a core idea, but the details can be very different. Yeah, for example, the
1: Seventh-day Adventists have dietary restrictions.
0: Right. Now Grant, Grant and I don't as Methodists
1: and Presbyterians.
0: Right, and that's just a behavioral thing. When we're talking about actual beliefs, like the heresies that we're talking about, like um, you know, they're not being a holy trinity and things like that, it can be really important to say, what do we actually believe and determine what church am I being baptized in yeah or what church am I joining so creeds are a hedge against heresy and they delineate people they are also a little more than that and a little better than that they're an anchor of sorts in some ways yeah you'll you'll sometimes
1: um often actually hear uh stories of People reciting the creed is um, a comforting thing after a loved one has died, you know, particularly when you get to the end of the Apostles' Creed. There's some some language in there that reminds you that we are not just mortals that will be snuffed out at some point. It can be very comforting if somebody you love has died. You know, they're, they're just kind of a general um, emotional and spiritual anchor that you can kind of hang on to if things are getting stormy.
0: I know Adam Hamilton preached a recent series of sermons about this, right? Uh yes actually.
1: Um the sermon series ran from August 16th all the way up through September 27th. Give me a link to that and I'll post a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely. As well.
0: From what I understand from you, Hamilton's approaching that as kind of a summary of the Christian answers to the big questions of life.
1: Yeah, all of the existential questions, is there a God, what happens when we die, that sort of thing. It's um it's kind of it's kind of, Yeah, it's kind of a neat structure that he's used for the sermon series. I recommend Hamilton's sermons a lot. Um, I especially recommend these ones. They're very listenable. There's some good theology in there. I, I think you'll get a lot out of it if you choose to listen to them. It's, it is a fairly hefty time commitment. He tends to run about 45 minutes a sermon and, you know, there's I think seven of them in here. So.
0: Right. I'll definitely link that in the show notes then. So let's talk about using these creeds in game because I think we've pretty well defined what they are. Okay. First, like we said, delineation. Defining a group that has separate beliefs, you can easily do that with a creed or say, these people believe this, these people believe this, here's a basic creed defining what they believe. And it could be an overarching thing in the same way that so many different denominations use the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed in some form. It could be something very specific to them. Perhaps a small change that they made that is specific yeah, to them. Yeah, it's Things worth like that.
1: mentioning that even though they can say that it's, you know, it's ostensibly the same creed, right? But much like you've got different denominations in the real world that will use different wording in the Apostles' Creed or even the Lord's Prayer, you could certainly do that in your game world, and that can uh, lend a subtle texture that you don't often see in gaming settings to these differences. If you want to go there.
0: Yep. I should add that this is something useful both for the GM trying to define things, you say, hey, this is what makes them different, but it's also useful for a GM trying to create or a writer trying to create. A way to say, all right, I want a group, what do they believe? And simply writing that out is a good way to kind of spur the creative mind a little bit and try and say, okay, well, if they believe this, what implications does that have? If you've added something that maybe you didn't quite expect to it, you can say, huh, why do they believe that? Well, and something else that's
1: that's useful is if you hang on to that and you continue to go back and reference it throughout your campaign as you're going on, you may actually find further story ideas in there if you unpack it a little bit. You know, you'll start to have different groups within the, the larger organization that interpret passages differently. You can say that certain parts of it point to different things, uh, can give you ideas for some history that may be behind mm-hmm. some of the specific phrasing. There can be a lot of material in there that may come to you later after you've written it down. And I, th- I think that's kind of generally good GMing advice anyways, at least from a world-building perspective. When you're coming up with organizations that have very specific beliefs or codes of ethics or um, ways that they conduct themselves that are that are quantified to the members of the organization – It can be handy to have a hard copy of those someplace that you can reference back to and scribble notes on or a file you can edit or something like that. Just so you can kind of start going through the same process that these things go through in the real world, which is, you know, people will interpret them differently over time. They will spread to cultures that have different languages than they were originally written in and may there may be interpretation difficulties there. Have that stuff handy and don't just kind of toss it once you're done making
0: it. And, of course, it will help you add an element of consistency if everybody in this particular organization or faith does profess a belief in this way. However they're interpreting that, there's going to be a common core element, and that helps keep people acting in a consistent way and lets you, you know, to your players, say, oh, yeah, it's one of these people. Little differences here and there to make them individual, but Yeah, and they have this common thread. Those those little differences can also those can signal
1: that you that something is different in the gaming world. If you get used to hearing, you know, to having this, you know, let's say the clerics of this particular faith in your gaming world say like a little passage of that creed every time they do something. You know, when they get up in the morning, when they greet you, or you know, at the beginning of a, a daily religious ceremony or something like that, it can almost be like a ritualized prayer, and you hear somebody who's dressed like one of them saying it differently for some reason all of a sudden after hearing it the same over and over and over again. Well, why? You know, is this person an imposter? Are they part of a a a sect that's starting to split off from the main body? Is there, you know, some are they just new and learning it? Is something else going on? So sometimes this this sort of thing can be clues because whenever you break consistency
0: you have the potential for drama. A couple other ways you can use creeds. First, Somewhat simple, but still useful. Having them posted places. You know, they're in the church bulletin. Yeah. They may be written on walls. They may be embossed on doors. They may be...
1: Carved in a big stone on the outside of the church.
0: Yeah, they may be on little amulets that people wear under their shirt to remind them all the time. Having them written down, having them as a a static statement of faith means that people will put them on things. You know, it could be large, it could be small and personal. But it's a good detail to add, and it says this is an important thing. Yeah, The person who keeps it on a a necklace, that's something important to them. If it's carved into a wall in 10-foot letters, that's important to the people who go to that building.
1: Yeah, or if it's carved into a wall in such a way that you'll kind of gradually read it as you walk down the passage or something
0: that's also yeah. important it's a good detail to put into the world to say this is a thing that matters to someone somewhere
1: or did it sometime you know you could or stumble upon some ruins that have some unfamiliar creed that you've never even seen or heard of in there and then
0: that's a mystery to solve exactly um the creed may have some power in and of itself or it may be an aid in some way yeah you had a neat example of this in here yeah, I liked. so I suspect a lot of our listeners are familiar with the Dune series by Frank Herbert. One of the most famous things to come out of that series, uh, aside from his name is a killing word from the movie, which is terrible, is the Bene Gesserit Litany Against Fear, which is something that, again, he just kind of created to help define a particular organization. And it's a mantra that is recited to help people overcome their fear. And you can now buy it on t-shirts and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's very famous. Yeah. And it's, I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. It's, what, seven lines? Yeah. Short little thing. That's a litany. It's described as a litany, but it also is something of a creed. It's not so much a statement of belief as a statement of action and a a reminder of action, but there's no reason that a creed can't be used in the same way. You see this in the Wheel of Time, and I'm going to be quoting a couple examples from the Wheel of Time here, (laughs) because I've been reading through the Wheel of Time, and I'm getting close to being done, Uh, so it's kind of weighing heavily on my mind. But there's kind of a creed that shows up here and there. You know, the Dark One and all the Forsaken are bound in Sheol, Ghul, blah, blah, blah. Basically, a creed that's recited in a couple of places— saying, this is true, and I really believe that it's true, because otherwise the world is terrifying. Another thing from the Wheel of Time, the magic users, one of the big organizations of magic users in that setting, the Ace Sedai, have three oaths that they swear. Now again, this is a, a series of oaths that they swear. Yeah,
1: these are actual promises of action, right?
0: Right, and they're, these are actually magically binding, yada yada yada. Not going to go into the whole deal of it. Suffice it to say, these are promises to act or not act, in this case. Like, I will not lie. I will not make a weapon for people to use to kill each other. Yeah, you know, I will not use magic to hurt anybody except evil things and anybody who is actively trying to kill me. Things like that. But those come from certain beliefs in what is right in the world. Right? Yeah. I will not lie. Well, that implies that lying is wrong. I will not use magic to hurt people. It implies that it is not right for people to hurt others with this magic that only they can control. There's more to it than simple promises. Those promises, just as we say that belief shapes action, those actions imply belief. So if you've got characters who have taken certain oaths or will or won't do certain things, and in that case, it may be interesting to have a creed that is connected to oaths in some way. I was a Boy Scout, actually an Eagle Scout. There's a Scout Oath, a Scout Promise, and a Scout Law. Both of these things you have to learn as a Scout, and we've recited them all the time. A Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. The Scout Oath, or Promise, is on my honor I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country, and to obey the Scout Law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. So you've got a statement about what we believe scouting is about and what scouts should be, and then a promise to be that person.
1: And that definitely carries some weight if you're saying that, especially as a kid. Which is the whole idea behind these things. A lot of the time is that that sort of thing will sink in. You'll internalize it, and hopefully, you'll accept it rather than resenting it. And live by those precepts because that's good for society and good for the individual as well.
0: Yeah. And of course, certainly there are plenty of people who just memorize the creed and say it, and it doesn't have any effect on them.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure there are some that, you know, memorize it and it has a profound impact on them.
0: Sure. And so if the creed has some weight, it will shape what they will do and what they say they will do in life. So to move on from that, You had a good uh, idea for using creeds, which was as a clue to something. Yeah,
1: this kind of goes back to previous references to more ancient stuff, but they can provide clues to some type of MacGuffin in their text. Um, (laughs) I I had this in the notes and then cut it. and Now I think I'm going to say it anyways. This could be called the Dan Brown effect, where... You know, you kind of operate under the assumption that religious texts aren't useful enough on their own merits and have to hide the secrets to some treasure or hidden truth or something like that. The older the better, right? I'm generally not a huge fan of that in contemporary settings, and I really roll my eyes at that in the real world a lot of the time. But in fantasy, that's gold. And I mean, well,
0: uh, that's traditional. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Well,
1: yeah. But I mean, traditions exist for a reason, right? It's a it's a highly effective narrative trait where you've got one of those things where it's like, oh, my goodness, the clues for defeating or imprisoning the great evil were in front of us all along. They're just, you know, these lines of this creed and this is what it actually means. And making that discovery could be like a third act thing that happens in your campaign after it seems like all is lost or something. I mean, it's. It's a good twist. Yeah. To go back to the science of storytelling series a little bit, this can come in and be the revelation that kind of leads to your crazy plan to save the world.
0: Perfect. Um, More generally, these are good for setting texture.
1: They're, they're really nice seasoning when used in your setting, because if you've got knights or monks that you know, recite them as part of their normal goings on, or you may hear them recited by healers performing last rites on the dying or working in a hospital type setting before they go in to try and treat somebody or some other religious function. You may hear them at funerals or weddings or whatever the equivalent of a baptism is or infant births or any number of other things. This can give the setting a feeling of, I don't want to necessarily say reality Versimilitude, maybe? Yeah, it, at least it'll make it seem more
0: three-dimensional. Yeah, I agree. And part of that verisimilitude, there can be conflict between people over creeds.
1: Yeah, there definitely can be.
0: As we said originally, creeds can help delineate different groups of believers in that thing. And even if they're both professing ultimately the same thing, if there's a difference in a creed, that may indicate a difference between the two. And sometimes little petty differences can be the kind of thing that cause tremendous, painful, divisive, and violent splits, which are great for settings. The classic kind of silly version of this, I want to say Terry Pratchett had an example of this, um, kind of in passing where, you know, groups had had a schism over a little translation or a comma or something in an important text. Well, I wouldn't say do something quite that silly, necessarily unless it's a game like that
1: i don't know man a comma can change the whole meaning of a sentence from one thing to something completely different yes we've all read opposite
0: we've all read eats shoots and leaves I know. yeah and you're right it, it can be a big deal but at the same time i i think having a more wholesome division if you're going to go that route is useful because the break is meaningful and it has real import for the people on both sides of that split
1: well, and to say nothing for the fact that most of the time, when you do have a religious schism, the people that are causing it—not always, but often—are operating in good faith on both sides. Yeah, they're really genuinely convinced that something is is wrong with the way things are being done, or something has been misinterpreted, or the church that they're splitting off from has gotten away from some central truths. I mean, the example of this is the protestant reformation right luther nails his list to the door sometimes these creeds can be a catalyst or they can be an after effect you can have the reformer go through and do like a rewritten version of the the base creed as it were that includes uh, language that's specific to kind of this new sect that's that's calved off and that can definitely be setting texture because. You're out adventuring in the wilderness and you come back and, you, you know, what used to be one temple is now a, you know, the main temple, which looks a little scuffed and a secondary one that's been set up across town. And all of a sudden you've got these people that are saying that they're part of this one religion, but they're talking differently or they're, you know, their creed is a little different. And you now you, you may have to find out what happened. You may know what happened. It, it's still good setting texture. I really feel like we went into this to talk about creeds and
0: we actually wound up talking about religious schisms a lot. Well, we have, and that's because the two are sort of related. If everybody believes in the same thing, you don't necessarily need to have a creed, at least not in the same way. Although it is still a good teaching tool for newer believers. Well, it certainly is. And they're good for organizations as well. You know, to say, this is everything we believe. Let's keep our actions in line with that.
1: You know, actually, that's a good thing to touch on, is these don't always have to be religious. Companies' core principles or code of ethics could be considered to be a creed.
0: Yeah, well, how many companies have mission statements?
1: Uh, Most of them, I would say.
0: Yeah. Now, I can tell you, not every company I have worked for has lived up to the mission statement, but they all have them. They all say, this is what we believe in as a company, you know, uh, producing high-quality products and... Treating customers fairly, right? Those things are almost always in there. Whether or not it's a a couple of paragraphs or one paragraph or bullet points, whatever, they all say things that they are striving for and what is important. Another thing, use for creeds in your game, and I I mean specifically in in your game, is introduction of new creeds. What happens when a new one is introduced? Yeah, and this may not even come with a schism. It may not. The example that I'm going to use is not exactly a schism, but an example of a new creed being created in response to something. So the Presbyterian Church had some presence in Weimar, Germany, and before then. Those of you who are passing, have some passing familiarity with European history will know that Hitler nationalized the church in Germany. Uh, Because, of course, when you're running a dictatorship, you don't want another set of beliefs that say something other than what you are (laughs) declaring. Yeah.
1: Right. In fact, he, you know, there's a famous martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, from that era.
0: Exactly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, of course, a German Lutheran pastor and theologian and dissident. Yeah. The Presbyterian Church in Germany. Basically, uh, some Presbyterians came out and kind of produced a statement of faith saying, hey, uh, Germany is totally right. Uh, the Nazi party is great. Let's go with that. And in response to that, in May of 1934, the synod, uh, confessional synod of the German Evangelical Church met in Barmen in Germany, and this was not the Presbyterian, this was Lutheran Reformed, various different united churches, numbered number these. All of the German confessional churches met to create a confession in opposition to the establishment of the German evangelical church, and basically to withstand the destruction of the confession of faith that was so important to Germanic tradition, which is one of the strains that modern Presbyterianism draws on. So you've got a statement of faith, and this thing is you know, a few different, uh, about 23 different statements saying, hey, this is what we believe, this is why. It's all kind of bulleted out. But it was in direct opposition to that. And the authors of that were sent to concentration camps. They did not do well, as you might imagine, opposed to a tyrannical regime. Yeah, the Nazis were famously pitiless. Exactly. But the, the production of that statement of faith had a purpose, and saying this is what we believe, this is why, And this is why we are going to hold to this. So the creation of it had a purpose for those in attendance and those churches as an organization. But it was also a statement to the faithful saying, this is what we believe as a church, hold to that. So if a new creed is created, it may be in response to something that needs to be addressed. It may be some false doctrine. It may be some attempt to manipulate people.
1: An example that I could see popping up in the modern world, you could potentially see some churches putting something in the creed that directly denounces the whole prosperity gospel thing. There's some other heresies and points of contention in the modern world, but I think that's probably the safest one to lean on. It hasn't happened yet to my knowledge, but that is definitely a widespread enough problem in the church where I I could see some language working its way in there eventually because of that.
0: And the Presbyterian church, and I'm speaking a lot about Presbyterianism because creeds are really important in the Presbyterian doctrine, and because I know it.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) Um, you happen to be one, so.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, There are a lot of different statements of faith that are used all the time. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Scots Confession, the Second Helvetic Confession, these are in like the 1500s. The Westminster Confession of Faith in 1646. The shorter catechism, the larger catechism. Yes, we have both. Um, a brief statement of faith from the PCUSA in 1991, which is not at all brief. Oh my goodness, no. Um,
1: <laughs> or or the Presbyterian idea of brief just is in conflict
0: with the modern one. Well, let's put it this way. It's briefer than scripture. It's <laughs> not a very high bar, Grant. <laughs> it's like three or four <laughs> pages. It's not enormous uh it is not the longer catechism let's put it that way but you know it is not the apostles creed either yeah so you know it's, it's not something you can just recite in a, it, a couple It gets of into
1: some fairly granular doctrinal detail i'm guessing
0: uh somewhat and you know it's somewhat poetic too which is nice
1: always a good thing you know actually that that's another tangent i would like to go down real quick here while you're looking something up. Uh, When you're creating these things, do your best to keep them from sounding dry. One of the things that makes a lot of the creeds in the real world so emotionally impactful when you say them is the fact that there's a flow to them. there's, um, There's some weighty language. The way that the Apostles' Creed is constructed, for instance, is very, it's chronological. It starts with creation and ends with the afterlife. And There's some worth to be found in good structure. So if you're going to make a fictional one, give some thought to that. Besides just the contents, give some thought to the presentation.
0: Yeah. And don't be afraid to try and pack as much as you can into a few short sentences. Oh,
1: yeah. Multi-layered symbolism, uh, words that mean more than one thing at the same time, any of that
0: sort of thing that you can wedge in there, all to the good. It's nice to give your players something. I say players. This is easily the kind of thing that can come from a player. Right? If you're looking for a way to add a little something to your game, this is a great place to start. Coming up with one of these for whatever organization you belong to or want to found or what have you. Putting effort into making it compact really works well because it gives you more opportunity to quote it. How often do we quote various different verses of scripture when they are applicable to multiple situations in our lives? Yeah. But also, if they are relatively terse... They're the kind of thing that you can just throw out a little more often in-game and keep them present in your mind of your players or, you know, your group, your GM, what have you. Or just it's the kind of thing your character could easily say it, you know, rather than reciting a three-page declaration or quoting randomly from it. It's just got a little more poetry to it if it is (laughs) well-constructed. On the other hand, if your player character insists on
1: going through that entire three-page declaration on a semi-regular basis. First of all, don't actually read it out at the table every single time because the other no, players just will, the first time. will clobber you.
0: If he does that regularly, that says a lot about the character too. Yes. Not necessarily great things, but it, it is an interesting character quirk. Yeah. A classic D&D example. This might be one of the things that your cleric has to do to get spells back for the day.
1: Yeah, is go through and recite an entire lengthy thing from beginning well, to end. you
0: know, it's a litany that yeah. has an effect, right? Again, a little bit of flavor here and there. Yep. What else you got? I don't really have anything. Uh, do you? Not really, no. Um, this is, as much as anything, this is kind of an aside about creeds, but I wanted to get into it, and I think we came up with some good stuff. Yeah. I also think this is
1: good to have near to the the Heresies series. Once again, this is... If you go back and you look at the Apostles Creed, which I quoted at the beginning of the episode, I think Grant and I can both agree on pretty much that whole thing. We are both mainline denominations, so or from mainline denominations. So this is all pretty much the established stuff. The details are why we belong to different ones. But I, I think the thing that's nice about the creeds is that even though you may come from a different religious tradition than somebody else, this is some of the stuff that kind of reunifies people from different sects. They can be like, okay, well, at least we can agree on this. Yeah. And that can be really important sometimes. So keep that in mind too. I guess I did have yeah. one last little thing.
0: All right. Well, on that note, I'd say let's wrap this up. Yeah. Because I don't know that we're gonna do better than that. All right. Thanks for listening to us. Um oh, one other little thing just to throw in here real quick, if you've listened all the way through. The day before we recorded this episode was Podcast Day 2015, which was apparently a thing. I didn't hear about it till like six o'clock that day. I don't know. I'd have posted something about it. Yeah, I think I Whatever. heard
1: about it from your Facebook feed.
0: Yeah, who knows? What mine, mine or mine you know what? Actually, Mike Perna. I think yeah. That's let's where, blame Mike Perna y- yes. for it. That's a good choice. Yep. Anyway, one of the things I would like to hear in a much belated celebration of that is how you came to start listening to Saving the Game, if you can remember that. Uh, that's partly just because, hey, we'd like to know, and partly because that gives us some idea of where our listeners are coming from, and it gives people a chance to introduce yourselves in comments and on our Facebook page or on Twitter, that sort of thing. It's interesting to know that. But mostly really because we'd like to know, because we're very curious. We've,
1: we've assembled a decent number of listeners, but with the few exceptions of the ones that we've spoken to personally, we really don't know where they came from. We can make educated guesses, certainly, but we
0: don't know. Yeah so thanks again for listening folks have a good one we've got a bunch of cool topics coming up over the next few episodes I'm excited about it so stay tuned and we'll catch you next time alrighty have a good one folks this podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given our music is by Ryan Humphrey Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com rpgpodcasts.com Stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at SavingTheGamePodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.